Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Man, well, good morning once again. Uh, man, I'm, I'm just so excited to, to hit this new semester, to, to, to move into what God has in store for us. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that, that I often think when, when we're on the verge of a new semester, on the verge of a new year like this, is I think just, man, I just, I love what God is doing. And, 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 and I'm just, I'm consumed with this idea that, man, God is, God is going to move and God is going to act and God is going to be stirring in hearts. And he's going to be grabbing people's minds and he's going to be changing lives all around us. And, and what's beautiful beautiful about that is it's, it's, a, it's an action, it's a movement that's motivated by love. We're, we're told that God so loved the world that he sent his son to die, that, that we don't find love and that we pursued God first, but that we find love in the fact that he loved us first, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us while we were still sinners, right? While we were still dead in our trespasses, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. That's a love that moves. And, and that's what love really is ultimately, right? It's, it's a movement. It's an action. It's a, it's a lifestyle. Love isn't something that we can just kind of discuss and think about. It's not something that you can just sort of measure in and of itself. It, it's something that you have to see lived out, right? It's something that you have to see take place. Uh, it, it moves you. Like if you're, uh, you know, around your first crush, like you're just awkward, right? I used to work with junior high kids and I would, I would see this, right? I work with college kids. I still see it, right? But it's you, you're around that crush. You're just like, oh, hi, what is up with you? Like you just, you don't know how to words and muffin. Like you don't know what to do. Why? Because there's this, there's, this, there's this stirring in your soul and your heart, and you're like, oh, it's going to make me live differently. It's, it's, it's love that makes you cry at the birth of your first kid, man. You just, uh, or, well, all kids, uh, not, not just the first one, but, uh, ooh, uh, but uh, man, it's, it's love that, that moves you to, to those actions. It's, it's love that, that makes you do whatever this is uh, when you have your very first sip of soda. Daddy, take a sip, baby. And you go back for more, right? Man, that's love. Love is something that moves us. And it's not just something that moves us. It's not just something that's supposed to motivate us. When we look in Scripture, we actually see that Jesus Christ tells us that love should also mark us, that it should identify us. When he talks to his disciples in John 13, he tells them, it's by this that people will know you're my follower. It's by this that people will know you're my disciples, by how you love, by how you love the people around you. I mean, love should be our number one identifier as believers, not, not the, the things that we put on Facebook, not the, the way that we carry ourselves, not the music that we listen to or the choices that we make or the, you know, the, the political party we align with. It's Christianity, you know, as believers, we're not supposed to be marked by, by the things that we're against, right? Often we fall into the, kind of that trap that people maybe know we're Christians because we've set up certain prohibitions or we've set up certain constraints, Christ says, I don't want you known for your constraints. I want you known for your compassion. I don't want you known for your prohibitions. I want you known for your pursuits. He says, I want you to be known as a people, not based on what you're against, but on what you're for. He says, you as people, you as my people, you as my followers, you should be known by your love. As followers of Jesus, we are called to love others. But we struggle to answer that, right? It's difficult at times. So how do we set ourselves 
back on that path? How do we, how do we focus our, our minds and our hearts? How do, we, how do we point our lives in that direction to say, yeah, God, I want to follow after you. I want to answer that call. I want to I wanna be known for the love that I, can, that I can display, that I can demonstrate. It's not just the love that I'm discussing, that I really get good about at talking about. It's the love that I want to just identify my life by. That, that, that's what I want to be. That's who I want to be. That's how I want to live. So how do we do that? How do we keep love at the focus, at the forefront of our, our speaking and of our, our movement? Well, in Matthew 9, Jesus says, this is the way, right? In Matthew 9, Jesus is going to give us an example through, through his own life through his own actions, through his own love. He says, and this is where it starts, right? This is, this is where you, you set the foundation for your life as a believer. It all starts with the way that you're loving the world around you. In Matthew 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus was going throughout all the towns and all the villages, and he was teaching in the synagogues, and he was preaching the good news of the kingdom, and he was healing every kind of disease and sickness. So up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we're seeing kind of these broad strokes, movements of Christ, his, his purposes and kind of his practices. And right here, we see that his ministry is underway, right? He's, he's teaching, and he's preaching, and he's healing, and he's moving in all these ways. He's he, he's he's gathering followers to himself. He's setting up this sort of identity. He's gaining fame in the surrounding area, in the nation of Israel. But right in the midst of this, right, right in the midst of this kind of big movement, this sort of start to his ministry, Matthew's going to take a moment and just pause. And we're going to kind of zoom in on this little crucial yet personal moment that he has with his followers. As he's teaching, as he's preaching, as he's healing, as he's moving in this way, he sees the crowd. And when he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were bewildered and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So all of a sudden, right in the midst of this movement, right in the midst of this ministry, what's beautiful is Jesus has compassion. Okay, now this is a, this is a powerful term in the Greek. And literally what's happening here in the Greek is that, that compassion, it means that he was moved, that his, his bowels were moved. Okay, that's, that's what's literally being described right here. And it's not quite like, you know, Oh, yeah, I had Panda Express at the MSC. I was moved. Like, it's not like that. It's not that same movement. Uh, this is from kind of this ancient traditional thought that when they, when they looked at the human body, they, you know, they didn't really understand how everything worked in here. Uh, but there was this one organ that's just ginormous. Any, any biology majors who know the largest organ inside your body? What was it? No biology majors? It's your liver, okay? It's your liver. Uh, the liver is this just big old thing, right? And it's just, it's sitting somewhere, I don't know, here, uh, I don't know, like it's, it's somewhere in here, right? And, and, and so in, those, in these days, at those times, they saw these livers, they were like, okay, like that's like a big, like weighty thing. And so they're like, uh, I guess in, in a way, maybe they just sort of assumed like, oh, that, I guess that's probably like where you feel stuff. Like they just, they just assumed that there's this kind of idea that, okay, yeah, like the seat of your emotions, kind of the, the, the seat of your love or your pity or your compassion, it's in your liver, it's in your gut. And so when they talk about having compassion for people, the, the strongest form of compassion is the idea that your gut moves. In other words, Jesus was moved in the ministry, right? It's almost like he couldn't help it. He looks at the crowds and he just, oh, it just, it just moves them, right? This is something that we feel in, in a lot of different, in many different contexts. Some of us, we've been going to Aggie football games for the past few years. 
We're excited to go to them again. Some of us, we're about to go for the first time. It's going to be awesome, man. I'm, I'm, I promise it's going to be amazing. And no matter how excited you are walking into that game, maybe you're tired and maybe you had like stuff going on or maybe you're just not that into football. The reality is that as soon as you're in that crowd, if you're standing in those stands and you're looking at the field, I mean, I don't care who you are, you're going to be moved, Right? Like there's going to be a, t- there's going to be a moment where like maybe you're thinking like, I don't know, I'm kind of chilling. I'm trying to just drink water, stay hydrated. And everyone around you, is the, the kickoff's going to be coming up and they're all be going, or you do like a thing, right? And everyone's going to be watching this and you're just like, ah, like, yeah, I care about this too. And you just, you just can't help it. Like people are going to be, I remember going to football games and try, and thinking at times like, okay, I need to save my voice. Like I'm, I'm speaking tomorrow. I need to like make sure I don't use up my vocal cords. But time and time again, without fail, I would go to those games and people around me are just like, yeah, tackle that guy. And I'm like, that's right. Like get him, pass it back. And you just, you just get into it, man. You're just moved in that process because there's people around you and it's just, man, you just get caught up and it. it's just, you can't help it. It's this involuntary reaction. Jesus looks at the crowds and he's moved. He says, oh my goodness, I, I, my, my gut is, is turning. I've got, this, I've got this movement. Why? Because they're bewildered and they're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. The, the nation of Israel, these crowds in his midst, he looks at them and he knows they're lost and they're confused. So he has compassion on them. He says, man, you, you have so many needs. And I love this analogy of describing them as sheep without a shepherd. This is something we see Throughout scripture, where God looks at the nation of Israel and he calls them, man, sheep without a shepherd. This is in Numbers, where God's kind of foretelling the, that there's going to be a need for a, a leader, for a savior for the nation. He says, look, who's going to go out before them, meaning the Israelites? Who will come in before them? Who will lead them out? Who will bring them in so that the community of the Lord may not be like sheep that have no shepherd? That's not a good place to be, right? Sheep without a shepherd, bad, bad situation. I don't know if you spend a lot of time with sheep in your life, you should, I recommend it, uh, it's a good time, uh, but if you spend time with sheep or if you read up about sheep, you will notice very, very quickly that sheep are so dumb, so dumb, 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 like just amazing. Uh, they are the one animal in all of creation that they have no defense mechanism whatsoever, right? Like cows, like they'll get horns sometimes, they can like kick stuff or like, you know, like a squirrel is just like, just kind of looks mean, right? Like they just, like any other animal, they have some way for them to defend themselves. If a sheep encounters danger, it's just like, bah, and like falls over. Like that's it. It doesn't do anything. It has no natural defense mechanism. Sheep without a shepherd, they are, they are lost. They are confused. confused. They will destroy themselves. And, and that's the reality of humanity. That, that's who we are. We are self-destructive individuals. Left alone, we will destroy ourselves. Right? I, I don't know how many of us are living with a two-and-a-half-year-old right now. Um, I am. Uh, she's my daughter. She's not just like, oh, two-and-a-half-year-old. Like, she's my daughter. And uh, she, she, will, she would destroy herself, like, if left her her own devices. Like, I, I have just realized over the past few years that, man, she, like, um, if I'm like, hey, Charlie, like, what do you want to eat? She'll be like, gasoline. I'm like, no. Like, what? What's wrong with you? Like, she... This morning even, just this, just this morning, my wife woke up, it was before Charlotte was allowed to be out of her room, it's before her like little alarm clock thing goes off, and, and yet my wife woke up and she heard this like bah, 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 movement in our living room. So my wife got up, she went out there, she's like, Charlotte, and then boom, buck naked baby, just standing there. She's like, mommy, I went to you in the potty, and then she just ran off. 
And, and she would, if she was just left her own devices, I'm telling you, she would just be naked in the street. Like that's just, that's what she would go and do with her life. She would eat rocks and I don't know, pick fights with bulls. I don't know. Like it's, it's bizarre. It's amazing. I watch her life. I'm like, it is by the grace of God that you are alive. Like there's no, there's nothing in you that will actually seek your own self-preservation. Like there's nothing, you're like a sheep, right? That's what I say to her every day. I say, you're like a sheep. Not really, but I should. I mean, even as we get older, right? Even as we begin to construct filters and boundaries and we begin to become a little bit, you know, sure of ourselves, even still, like we, we, we reach those moments, even like Netflix has to like look out for us and be like, hey, you, like, you sure you want to like keep watching this? Like, you can take a break. You're like, don't you judge me. Like you, just, you, you just, you still have those moments where like, yeah, you're going to do things that are a little bit self-destructive. You're walking into a new year. Some of you are freshmen. You're going to make decisions that are a little bit self-destructive. You're going to stay up late. You're going to go eat that taco, and you're going to be like, I shouldn't eat this taco, and you eat the taco, and your bowels will move, uh, <laughs> not with compassion, right? Like there's, those moments are going to happen, and, and, and we look at our world right now, and we see this, right? We see people destroying themselves. We see recent divisions, and we see destruction. We see people getting caught up in, in pursuing fame and fortune and, and different lifestyles that never lead to good, that, that always leave people wanting. We see people falling into traps of, 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 of hatred, right, and, and destruction, of, of killing each other because of differences in opinion or, or heritage, if we look at our world, we, we have to admit, like, okay, people are self-destructive. People left on their own are going to head in the wrong direction. Jesus looked at the crowd. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. And the compassion in his heart compelled him to preach. Over and over again in the Gospels, we see this. When he looks at a crowd, it says that he would feel compassion, and then he spoke. And then he preached to the crowd and he would tell them the truth. We should feel compassion for the crowd around us, right? There should be a desperation to our preaching. We should look at AM, we should look at Blinn, we should look at the 75,000 students in our area, and they should move us. We should have our hearts breaking for the lost and the confused, for the self destructive in our midst. And yes, we care about the current situation, right? We want to meet the needs. Jesus, he would heal, absolutely. But we need to remember we can never lose sight of the eternal destination of these people. Jesus would heal, yes, but he would preach because ultimately the deepest need of any person on this world is to be united, to be reconciled with the God of the universe. That's what we ultimately need. We need to recognize that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for our sake. We need to recognize that we can't fix ourselves, we can't fix this world, but we can have relationship with God, we can have life that extends beyond this existence if we trust in the name of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done. That is the ultimate need of every person in our midst, of every person in this room, of every person on campus, of every person that you were with all summer, that you're gonna see all this next fall. Man, that's the need. And when we see that need, it should move us. It should move us to preach. And beyond that, it should move us to pray. Jesus looks at this crowd and then he looks at his disciples. He says, man, the harvest, it's plentiful, but the workers are few. He says, 
he switches analogies right here. He's, he's going from the flock and he's moving into the field. He's talking about this harvest because they know, right? They live in an agrarian society. And so they know when there is a harvest, when the grain has grown and it's ready to come in, there's an urgency to that need. You got to get out there and you got to gather in that crop. Otherwise, it's going to go bad. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and says, man, there's a harvest right now. And it is, it's just booming, right? It's, it's banging. It's, it's plentiful, the workers are few. He says there's an urgency to this need in our midst, right? And that's what we need to recognize. There's an urgency to the needs that we see in the world around us. I don't want to stop playing with my blocks, but I really gotta go to the party. Go right away, go right away. If you have to go party, stop and go right away. So this is my life right now. Uh, this, is, this is the world in which I live. We started potty training our daughter about a week ago, and uh, this is the song that's on all of our lips. We are singing this constantly in my home. Uh, there's many a moment where I find myself sitting on the bathroom floor looking at my daughter uh, who has taken off all of her clothes to go potty, and she wants me to sing this song to her. to stop or when you have to go potty. Stop and go right away. Like, that's just... That's our, that's our thing, man. That's our jam. And, and it's, it's so wonderful. Daniel has just this, this great way of putting it, that there is an urgency to the need to go potty, right? Like that's, that's something that we now recognize. Like you're going to be on that road trip with those friends. And you're like, hey, we got we to gotta stop. We got to pull over. They're like, no, no, we're going to wait. There's like a Bucky's in like 30 minutes. You got to pull over now. Like we have to. Like you know at some point like there's an urgency to this need. And so impressing that upon my daughter is it's difficult, right? It's a work in progress. There's still poop on my floor yesterday. It's okay, right? Like we're going to get there of recognizing, hey, there's an urgency. When this need arises, you got to move, right? You got to stop and you got to go right away. And then you flush and you wash and you go on your way. Like that's just, that's part of life as we know it revolving around potties. And Jesus is looking at his people. He's looking at his followers saying, look, there's a need in your midst. There's a need in the crowd and it's urgent. There's a harvest that's waiting to come in. So don't wait. Don't delay. Don't waste time like sitting down and really like trying to map out a course and think like, oh, is God really calling me? He says, no. There's a harvest and it's ready. And there's a plentiful crop that needs to be brought in, but there's not a lot of workers. So he says, this is what you need to do. You need to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, to send them out into his harvest, right? Jesus wants to make sure that his followers are, are moving, that they're, they're feeling the compassion, they're being compelled in the same way that he is. And he says, you know where that starts? It starts by praying that God would be moving, that God would be working. Jesus' compassion, it didn't just compel him to preach, it compelled him to pray. Our hearts should break for the people around us in light of the sin that's brought destruction to our world, but our minds should be comforted knowing that ultimately God's in control, right? It's a tension, but it's a beautiful tension to know that, yeah, sin is, is running rampant, and yet God's in control. And ultimately, it's his harvest. And, and we want to be a part of that. 
right? If we're praying for these people, if we're, if we're pushing away the, our tendency to become self-focused, right? To, it's so often we can walk into a new year, a new semester, and we're just worried about like, man, what classes am I taking? Or where, you know, what internship am I getting? And whatever. And, and we look so, we become so inward focused, we forget about the people out here. So Jesus says, no, I want you to look at the crowd. Right? That's step one. You eliminate that self-focus, but then he says, step two, I want you to pray for him. I want you to eliminate basically any self-reliance you might have. To recognize, you know what, I I can't personally go and save the world. I can't personally go and change lives. I know for me personally, it doesn't matter what I preach. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what videos and examples I use. It doesn't matter what kind of three-point application thing I come up with. My words, my, my best is nothing apart from the work of the Lord. It takes the work of God to change lives, to change hearts. The conviction of the Spirit is necessary for anyone's eternal trajectory to change. Jesus says, I want you to look and see the need. I want you to pray for it. And what's beautiful is that right after this, very next verse, very next chapter, Jesus is going to send his disciples out. It's not just, hey, pray that God would do something. It's, hey, be a part of that movement. Be a part of that work. Our compassion should compel us not only to preach and to pray, but it should compel us to move, right? to practice that love, to put it to work. Right? We have an opportunity to be involved in God's harvest, but we need to recognize that it requires self-sacrifice. Right? It's, it's not easy. That's why Jesus even looks at his disciples in John 15. He tells them, hey, you know what the greatest act of love is? You know what the highest form of love is? It's laying down your life for another person. And that's what we're called to. And it looks different in different places, right? Like we're all called, our compassion should compel us to preach. And and maybe you're not going to have a stage like this. But you've got a classroom and you've got a lab and you've got a a roommate and you've got an organization. You've got a workplace. You have other opportunities. You have other stages to proclaim the good news, the gospel. Is it quick on your lips? Or, or you can even be a part of, maybe, maybe we're not all going to stand on this stage at some point, but you can be a part of, of helping us. I mean, I, I love, I've never been more excited about the staff team that I'm a part of right now. The team that we have that are, that are working full time for the gospel, to, to help the gospel go forth in Bryan College Station, in our college ministry right here, right now. I mean, I, I'm so pumped. And, and yet even my dream team of, of eight people, we can't pull this off. We're not going to be able to, to, in and of ourselves, minister to the thousands, 1,100 students that are going to come in these doors next week. Hence, show up early to park. Right? We're not going to be able to do that. That's why we need you. We need you. We need you to walk alongside of us, to, to strive with us, to charge this hill with us, to help us set the stage for people to worship, to encounter the Lord. To, to help us direct people that come in towards eternal community. That's, that's what we have an opportunity to do here on Sundays. I would love for you to join us in that pursuit, for your love to move you in that way. We also have opportunities to pray, right? Jesus' compassion compelled them to, to pray for people, and we can be doing that, right? Have you been praying for your roommates or your classmates? Have you been praying for your professors? For the AM just staff, the people in the MSC that work at that bookstore or that, that sell you your coffee? Have you been praying for these people? 
that they would know the Lord, that they would find Jesus and they would follow him with their lives? Because we can do that, right? There's a plentiful harvest. Let's pray that the Lord would send workers and let's be a part of that. That's why I love even this upcoming weekend, this Saturday, we have a thing called the Big Give. Uh, We have all this stuff. I don't know if you know this, but we have like mattresses and like bookshelves and just like, just stuff in the back of the room back there. And it's not because I'm a hoarder or because I've just like been <laughs> scouring the, <laughs> the streets uh, for everyone's things as they move out of their homes. This is uh, just the, a very small slice of what we've collected over the course of the summer for a thing called the Big Give, where this upcoming Saturday, international students will descend upon College Station, they will descend upon Grace in particular, and they're gonna just, we're gonna give them furniture. We're gonna give them beds, we're gonna give them desks, we're gonna give them chairs, we're gonna give them toasters. We're gonna give them things that they need because so many international students come to our community and they've got an apartment or they've got a dorm, but it's empty. And so we help them furnish it by just collecting donations from people around town, from people within Grace. And so we, this Saturday, are just going to give it to these students. And it's not just like, hey, let me give you this thing. Awesome. Go and be blessed. It's, it's hey, let me give you this thing. And, and hey, would you like to come and have dinner in my home? That, that's our goal with the Big Give is we set up these American, or like have dinner in an American home. And the purpose of that dinner is to build an actual, genuine relationship, right? To build a bridge, that we can cross and share the gospel. Because, yeah, I mean, I want them to have desks for sure. You need that as like a you know, chemistry PhD student. But you need to know Jesus, especially as a chemistry PhD student. <laughs> you need that. You need that. That's the ultimate need. And you can put your love into practice. You can come out and you can serve with us this Saturday as we give out that furniture, as we sort through these things, I think on the Friday before. You, you can be a part of, of loving people in just your daily life. That's what we're called to. So as we, as, as we try to just sort of move forward in that, in that pursuit, let's go to the Lord. Let's ask him to give us some clarity as to what our next steps might be. God, we, we thank you that you have shown us through your word uh, that there, you have a purpose for our lives. That God, we're not, just, um, we're not just brought into your family so that we can sit back and relax, but Lord, we are brought into your family so that we can go and move and, and, and act and live and, and be a part of the work that you have lined up for this world. So God, we just, we ask that you would place it upon our hearts. Where is it that we can be involved in your mission, in your work, in your movement of love? Lord, where is it that we can be involved right now? If you would take a moment, just ask the Lord, God, show me. Where is it? Is it moving into a certain environment? With, is it a conversation with a friend or a, a classmate or a roommate? God, is it someone that you can just bring to my mind right now that I could just share the gospel with? Or Lord, is it, is it maybe just that I need, to, I need to spend more time with you? I need to familiarize myself with the gospel. I need to prepare myself to be able to share it. God, are you calling me to, to proclaim your truth, your grace? Or, or God, are you calling me to just to pray more, Lord, to spend more time coming to you with the needs of the people around me, Lord, asking you to move and work? Or is it, God, maybe you're calling me to, to put this love into practice, Lord, to serve in my church or serve in an organization or serve just this weekend? Take a moment, ask God, Lord, show me what, 
what's next for me? God, how can I live this lifestyle of love? Lord, how can, how can my compassion compel me forward? Lord, show me. What do you have for me? Spend a moment. Ask him that now.